Uh, if you're new amongst us, we're, doing, uh, we're starting into a new series. We're a bit into it now by the name of Praxis, which is the name uh, that's uh, in Greek, the book of Acts takes its name, Praxis Apostoloi, the, the Acts of the Apostles. And our goal in this is to listen and to watch and to learn from the way that the apostles put into action, practices, Praxis is putting into action in the day-to-day life what it means to grasp Jesus' idea of the kingdom and his lordship and his intent for the world. Uh, In the very first sermon I mentioned last week that Tim asked us to be thinking about what we would like to see Jesus be doing and teaching in our lives. Because Acts says that... He, he writes and he says, I told you in the Gospel of Luke what Jesus began to do and to teach. And Tim pointed out very well for us that this is the beginning of what Jesus did and taught, but not the end. The book of Acts is actually how he carries out his mission in our world. And so last week we looked a bit, I felt we needed to back up a bit and look at the, well, what is it that Jesus kind of fundamentally is all about? And we looked at three things. We said he's fundamentally about the bringing glory or honor or esteem to his, his heavenly Father, that he's about the, the, the rescuing and the renewing of human beings through his love and sacrifice and resurrection. And that the third thing was that he meant to build communities that would be communities of witness that would carry on his doing and his teaching in the world until he comes again. And so that's where we stopped last week. I want to pick it up with that idea. And another thing that I really pray for myself as well as for us is that we would be people who would be more in tune, more in touch, more sensitive to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In 2015, I would like to know and walk, or Galatian puts it this way, it says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk today a bit about this idea of living in the Holy Spirit. And I want to take, uh, take us kind of through some of the things that the apostles would have heard when Jesus spoke to them about that. Uh, the book of Acts could have just as readily and appropriately been named the Acts of the Holy Spirit, if you've read it. And so we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit acted in the apostles who then acted out, they put into practice the work of Jesus. All right? So the question I want us to ponder today is what is Jesus' attitude and what is Jesus' experience of the Holy Spirit? Because it was from that that the people that were following Jesus would have drawn much of their reference point to what he says to them. So let's begin. Let's begin where uh, Tim began and where we began last week, and let's begin one more time. Acts chapter 1. We are going to get beyond Acts chapter 1. Okay, just if you're wondering. There's just, it's pretty dense and full of information here. Acts 1, 1 through 8, and verse 12, and then Acts 2, 1 through 4. In my first book... Luke writing, the gospel of Luke, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles, his follower leader group, further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, 
He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud where they, while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Acts 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, this would be about 10 days later, all the believers were meeting together in one place, just as Jesus had told them. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them authority. We're going to speak of the Spirit. And of course, it's strange to talk about God. And it's always a danger, isn't it? That we talk about him like he's in a Petri dish. So we want to do this with reverence and carefulness. We're talking about our very lives in Christ today, and here Jesus tells us some important things. I want to first ask, what was Jesus' view of the experience, excuse me, his view and experience of the Spirit? What would the followers have seen, the first followers of Jesus? What would they have heard and saw? It strikes me in this text that Jesus says that the Spirit is a gift. That it's a gift from his Heavenly Father, and other places he'll say it's from the Father and from him. Acts 1, 4 and 5, we just read, Don't leave Jerusalem until my Father sends you the gift he has promised, as I told you before. John baptized you with water. In a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus uh, talking to uh, a crowd, he says, If you then, though you are touched by evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so Jesus says to us that the presence in the work of the Spirit is gift. It's all gift. And you know, as a young believer, that was a little bit hard. Uh, it was okay, the, the kind of common church type of experience of the Spirit. But when I'd eat, read Acts, or I'd read into Corinthians, or other places, and you'd have prophecies and tongues and exorcisms and stuff, that was parts of the, you know, it's like the gift you don't want. And so I think one of the things that we need for 2015, if we're going to really be walking in the Spirit, we have to want the gift. So the first thing for us to think about is how do you think about the gift of the Spirit? I thought about, you know, what did the disciples think when he called the Holy Spirit a gift? You know? And I suggested they would have been thrown back, not only on Jesus' words, but they would have been thrown back into what they've been raised all their life with, that is the Old Testament Scriptures. 
And within the Old Testament scriptures, there was this prophetic hope of a day that the Lord, the Lord's day would come, and that the Lord would come through his Messiah, through his anointed rescuing king, who John points, John the Baptist points out, is Jesus of Nazareth. And the prophet said that when Messiah came, or the Christ, it's the same meaning in, in Greek and, and uh, Hebrew, when, when the Christ or the Messiah came, it would be a unique and growing time of the Spirit. That with the Messiah would come an outpouring of the Spirit. I wanted to give you a couple examples of this. One is in, in Ezekiel 36. And Ezekiel, in this power and the presence and the Spirit of the Lord, speaks the word of the Lord. And he says, the Lord says this through it. And I will give you a new heart. And I will give you a new spirit within you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey all of my commands. This is a perfect text for Valentine's weekend. It's all about our hearts. It's all about the nature and condition of them. And God says, the Father says through Ezekiel, when Messiah comes, I'm going to give you a heart transplant. I'm going to rearrange the interior of your very affections and mind. I'll give you a new heart because I'll put my spirit within you. So there's this internal transformation that is part of the gift of the Spirit. What Jesus called being born over again by the Spirit. Or what St. Paul says, that those who are in Christ are a new creation, created by the Word and the Spirit. Another place that talks about this coming of the Messiah and the Spirit is in the book of Joel. And it'll be pretty important to our text in Acts. Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, the Lord speaks through Joel and he says this, And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, think slaves, think indebted type. Even on the poor, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so Joel looks at it a bit differently, where Ezekiel's is more about the renewal of the interior of the heart and all. Joel talks about kind of an enablement to carry the mission of God forward. Prophecy in the Old Testament and dreams were a fundamental way that God communicated his will and direction to his people. And wherever you see the prophet speaking, they'll say, the spirit of the Lord came upon me. And they speak out of that anointing inspiration. And so here Joel says that when Messiah comes, there will be this kind of equipping of God's people from the young to the old, from the, from the woman to the man, from the, young, uh, excuse me, from the poor to the rich. There will be this kind of universal giving of the Spirit, which is different than it is in the Old Testament. It's not so broad and rich and deep and wonderful in the Old Testament. But here's something God is going to make a universal people who can be equipped and filled with His Spirit. If you read on in Acts to Acts 2.17, you'll hear Peter explaining what took place in that text we read. And he says that this experience of Pentecost is a fulfillment of Joel's promise. 
He says, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. And so you have this promised gift, a gift to transform our inner hearts and minds and lives, to write on uh, the softness of our conscience and our heart, the will and the way and the work of God. And then there's this promise of enabling us to live out in strength and speak out in the heart of God to the world around us. Well, I want to touch a bit, too, on, you know, not only does Jesus call this a gift, but Jesus has his own experience of the Spirit. And the writers of the Gospels are very careful to enunciate this to us. Uh, Particularly in Luke's Gospel, I would say he's the apostle of the Spirit. He talks more about the Spirit in the first four chapters than any other Gospel does in its entire book. And it's, it's Luke who will tell us the stories of Pentecost. It's Luke who will tell us the stories of the fillings and the refillings of the Holy Spirit. And so Luke has this concern that we understand something fundamentally that the other Gospels are unanimous in affirming, that it is by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that the creation came into ordered fruition. Genesis 1. But it is also the work of the Spirit that brought about the conceiving of Jesus and his coming into our world. It was the Spirit that brought about the anointing and the empowering of his life for ministry. It was the Spirit that brought about his power to heal and bring about exorcisms and deliverance. And the gospel says it was by the Spirit that Jesus himself was guided and sustained and finally raised in victory from the dead. Think about his baptism. In his baptism, John had been told, when you see one that the Holy Spirit descends upon like a dove, that's the Messiah. And so there you have the story in Luke 3, 21 and 22, that when when John baptizes Jesus, he sees the Spirit descending on him. He's anointed with the Spirit for his mission. He's given himself to the Father fully at his baptism uh, and announces who he is and moves forward. Right away, what does Luke tell us? Luke tells us in 4, 1 through 14, that the Spirit, that he came out of the Jordan empowered with the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? He presses him. He leads him into the wilderness. What for? To be tempted and overcome the fundamental temptations of the devil that destroyed the first Adam. And by that has destroyed God's creational intent in our lives through sin. In the wilderness, he overcomes the devil by the word and by the Spirit. He comes out of the wilderness, Luke says, in the power of the Spirit, and he goes to Galilee, his home area of ministry, and he goes to Nazareth. We're told that in his ministry, ongoing ministry, that the power of the Spirit was with Jesus to heal the sick. Luke 5, 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees, they were religious leaders, and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Jesus himself goes to his hometown in Luke 4, 16 through 21, and he identifies himself subtly but pointedly all at the same time as being the fulfillment of the messianic promise in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. 
Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And excuse me, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, quoting Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressors free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Contextually, these all go back. It's because of the anointing of the Lord that Jesus does and walks in all of these things. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They're ready to learn. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So, summing up, how can we think about Jesus' life? Well, I think the scripture would tell us that he lived a life of liberated spirit dependence. That he lived a a self-emptying life. And then he lived a fullness of life. The fullness of God was present in him, we're told. It's a conundrum for us. It has to do with this idea in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 where Paul talks about the humility of Jesus, the self-emptying of Jesus as he comes to us, God with us in the flesh, the, the mystery of the incarnation. And central to the reality of the incarnation, that Jesus lives out not only the character and the perfection, the sinlessness of God, but he also lives out the true way that Adam was meant to live. He lives in dependence on his Father and on the Spirit. And it leads him to a humble yet powerful life of mission and prophecy and eventually giving his life for us, the ultimate emptying. And the ultimate victory for us. Listen how Jesus talks about himself. John 5.30 By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I can do nothing of my own. I only yield to what The Father has told me. John 14.10 The words I say are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Jesus speaks of this dependency, this interconnectivity, this the Father is in me and the Spirit is with me and I'm in my Father. But then listen to what he says in John 15.5. Familiar text to many of you. He says that he used the metaphor of the grapevine. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 5.30 he says, by myself, I can do nothing. It's the presence of of my Father by the Spirit living within me that works these things out in His glory. And He says to you, you can't do anything either unless I now live within you and work out the glory of my Father through you. 
Well, the disciples are inculcated by the time they hear Jesus at the end of his ministry saying, wait in Jerusalem and be filled and dude with power for your mission. Made me think that we should talk for a moment today about what Jesus wants us to experience. What he wants us to experience in practice and day-to-day life. I call it the normal Christian life of the New Testament. And at times it's been the normal Christian life post the New Testament. And I would pray that it would become the normal Christian life for you and I. That we would grow in this kind of experience. There's so much to be said that it's like seven or eight sermons. But I'm not going to do that to you. Right? I certainly am not. But I did want to touch on one thing as I was praying. It's in John 14, 16. And then John 16, 13. In 14.16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I won't leave you alone. This is shortly before his arrest and death. John 16, 13. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. I love the new song that Carlo has written for us. The song that has refrain, I belong to you has in there that we won't be left as orphans, that we won't be left alone to our own devices in the world, trying to carry out Jesus' story of what he began to do and to teach, but instead we'll be with him. He'll be with us and in us, and we'll receive all that was given to him. We'll receive what we need from him. It'll be made known to us, all of this, by our life and responsiveness to the Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to have my Father send you the gift. And one of the things the gift does is he is a counselor. He says it'll be a a counselor, another counselor. means of the same kind as I am. I'm going to send someone who will carry on what I began to do and teach in your lives in a different way. But it'll be the same kind of beginning to do and to teach. He calls him the counselor, and the word sometimes is translated counselor in your text, sometimes comforter, sometimes it's translated advocate. In the Greek, it's parakletos, and it's simply, it's telling us that the Holy Spirit is a paraclete, not a parakeet, a paraclete, okay? He is the one, what's this word mean? He is the one, para, it means to be at the side of another, and kaleto, which means to be called or summoned, parakaleo. Jesus, I'm going to have my Father send alongside of you and in you one that will have this kind of ministry and mission toward you. In the Greek world, the paraclete was not a hired lawyer, although it comes out of that language area, or a counselor. Rather, it was a friend. A friend who appears alongside of another friend. 
A friend who can function as a mediator when the friend needs that kind of service. A friend that can be an intercessor for him when he needs intercession. A friend that can advise and guide him in his life when he needed that. And a friend who can be a helper in all that he's called to do. Jesus says, this is what my Holy Spirit will do. He'll take all of what's from me and he's going to do for you what I did for you when I was with you in the flesh. This is a fabulous gift and needed, I think, eh? So Jesus says, first, I'm going to ask, I'm going to wait in Jerusalem, excuse me, until the Father sends the gift that John and I told you about. At the end of Luke, we get kind of an earlier statement of this same idea. Luke 24 verses 46 through 49. And Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his names to every nation, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I am going to send you What my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Jesus says he's going to send a gift. But he also tells us that this gift is essential for the continuation of his mission through his people. You know, probably every community of Jesus will give acknowledgement to the Spirit. The challenge for us is not just to acknowledge him. I believe in God the Father, you know, in the, in the, in the creeds and stuff, and the Holy Spirit. But it's to give the same welcoming that Jesus had, the same attitude that Jesus had. How are we to respond? We are to have an open and welcoming heart. For Hillcrest to meet its missional purpose in the world will take more than just the scripture alone it will take the word of god infused with the power of god it will take more than just our kind of creedal acknowledgements it will take a creedalized i made that word up a creedalized heart where god truly is our abba creator where jesus truly is our savior king And where the Holy Spirit truly does bring the ministry and mission of Jesus in character and power so we might minister to one another and to minister to the world around us. So as I prayed about this, I thought, Brady, what do you really think of the Spirit? And the Lord began to show me the areas where I'm very welcoming. And I think he probably said, well done. And then I found the areas where I'm really creeped out. And he says, not so good. I felt like I was in the book of Revelation. I, I know this about you and that about you. Well done. And then, but, but this, this I have some trouble with. And he points out where we need to grow. As a people in this time, in this space, I pray we'll grow in the spirit. That we'll grow in being spirit-empowered, spirit-filled, spirit-moved people. You know, I think of the world that you and I live in right now. 
And I don't know how you read it. I see much joy and good in it. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a total pessimist. I, I've told you before, St. Eeyore is my favorite saint, but, you know, there's, I live with Shirley, and so one must be joyful. <laughs> but when I think about the age that we live in and the challenges of making Christ known to our world, not the world far away, that too, but the world that we live in, day in and day out, where the praxis takes place, where we put into actions the real experience of the joy and the life of living in Jesus. When I think about that, I think, look at what we face. We face the power, Jesus called them the powers of darkness or the kingdom of darkness, and they're so strong. And they're seemingly so subtle that it feels at times in our culture they're almost omnipresent. We live in an age of intense rationalism where man starting from himself says, we can think our way into utopia. We live in a world of naturalism where all you get is what you can see and touch. And I need this because my throat's going bad. Taste. Good water. Okay? See, touch, and taste. Where we've had a reductionist world. We live in that. How much has the world of reductionistic naturalism reduced you? So that what you are most enthralled with is creation. And Jesus says, but don't leave out the creator, the Holy Spirit, and the word of God. We live in a time of hedonism. Where people live for their pleasures. They put it on their bumper stickers. They put it everywhere around. They live it out. They live for Friday. Thank God it's Friday. We don't believe in God, but thank God it's Friday. Where we, everything we earn is for our own pleasure. That's our world. The fulfillment of life is eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. And the narcissism, the self-awareness, the constant self-concern, the constant upgrading my Facebook, the constant need to change my status. We live in a difficult world, a resistant world that leaves little or no room for the wonder and the mysteries of God's presence in our world and presence within us and amongst us. We live in an age where we, the Lord's people, are oftentimes racked and imprisoned with the same distractions and desires of the world around us. So when we gather together, our small groups, our one-to-one, our mentoring, and here, let's be people of the Spirit that reinforce the work and the power and the expectation of His help in our lives. We, of all ages of Jesus' people, I think, should eagerly desire the Spirit. The world is hungry for something more than just stuff. It doesn't know where it's at, and it's resistant even while it's hungry. But our presence in the world, the fruit of His gifts, the fruit of His Spirit, the fruit of His character in us and through us can help bring glory to Him. And when we bring glory to him, we bring glory to his Abba. And this is our mission. As we go forward in Acts, we'll see how the word and the spirit will work itself out 
in creating a community that will spread until it finally conquers the conscience of the Roman Empire. May God do it again in our world. And may we be allowed to be a part of it. One other thought of where we should go here. Is it up there? Yes. If you were here last, if you don't know what that is, then you need to go get the, the sermon from last week. But that's, that's Lambo, God's agape attack sheep that we talked about last week. So if we're really going to be that kind of spirit-filled person who attacks the kingdoms of darkness with love and insight and spiritual renewal, then I think it would be good. Here's an assignment for you. Read chapters 1 through 5 of Luke and 14 through 16. And just note all of the references to the Spirit and the implications of them. Just journal a bit and pray a bit. And God will help us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we bow our hearts before you. And we want to be thoughtful and deeply welcoming to you. Lord, we don't want to err and grieve your spirit amongst us. We want to walk in step with you. We want to be people that will make a real and eternal difference in each other's lives. And we want to make a real and eternal impact on the history of your world. We want to be, Jesus, your church. And we want to do your will in your way. And so we ask that in this new year, in our own lives and in our shared life, that you will teach us the ways of your spirit more deeply. That you'll stretch us and fill us, renew us. And you've already sent us. And we pray we would go in a sense of the power of your presence with us. To your glory we pray it. In Jesus' name we ask it. And by the Spirit we anticipate it. Amen.